This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Thanks so much for tuning into the show because I've got a conversation with a fella who comprises one half of the duo in capital. His name is Nick Jenkin and he's actually featured on the podcast before, way back in 2018, when they launched Human Is, an album that would go on to make my best of year-end list. Maybe the catalyst for this chat will go on and do the same thing in 2021. It's another album and it's titled Fridays with Carol. So of course we talk all about the album and a heap of other worthy topics. And before we dive into the chat, let's have a listen to a tune called Dr. Man's Disco Plan. Once that's done, you'll hear us talk. Let's go. Good. Uh, what's been happening? It's been a couple of years, I think, since our last chat. It only feels like last week, but <laughs> it has been about three years. It has been. Um, a lot's been happening. I'm actually, the location, I'm sitting in my car actually in, um, where am I? I'm in Carnarvon at the moment in WA. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, nice part of the world, but uh, you can't get in or out of WA. Like, it's the same here, actually, in Queensland. Yeah, we... Um, Myself and my partner, we left um, Melbourne probably about three months ago. And so we've been traveling up through South Australia, the NT, um, now WA. Basically, it feels like COVID's been chasing us all throughout those places. But we were very lucky um, uh, where we got out when we could because um, we just had... um, one too many lockdowns last year in Melbourne. And so now we're kind of um, enjoying the life on the road. So, um, yeah, it's pretty sweet. Oh, it's psychotic in Melbourne. There's no two ways about it. It's just, it's inhumane what's going on. Uh, this this COVID zero thing that that bastard's been chasing now for for over two years, what's well, about two years now, was never going never gonna to fly and it flies in the face of the, face of the scientific facts about the uh, the virus uh, the pandemic and this bloody thing that we're all living through it's it's just totalitarianism it's nuts yeah I think um, last year I think it was okay like we because of the it, it wasn't particularly contagious compared to this particular strain um, but at this stage I think um, he's been a bit reactive. Um, you know, the kind of New South Wales gave a bit of a plan for how they were going to come out of lockdown, where it had been a bit reactive this time, and it sounds like they've started to change their tune a bit. So hopefully everyone back home can get some relative freedom soon enough, and then, um, you know, by the time we, we might head back at around Christmas time if we're allowed to because we've got family in uh, Victoria and New South Wales. Um and it'd be nice to spend time with them, but we are we are some of the lucky ones. There's a lot of people on the road, and um, yeah, we're some of the lucky ones. So it's very cool. Are you meeting a lot of people from Melbourne on the road? Are you? Um, there's definitely a lot of people from Victoria, um, but I would say now that we're in WA, it feels like a lot of people from WA are on the move. Like I'm sitting in a caravan park at the moment. I can see number plates from all over Australia, but the majority are WA. Um, okay. There was a lot more people in the Northern Territory that were from all over the shop. You know, it's a mix of like, even there's still some backpackers here um, because they're on the move, probably trying to get away from COVID. And yep. and there's um, the grey nomads, which are, which are awesome to hang out with. And then there's maybe peeps like us that have taken you know, six months off work to travel um, uh, that maybe don't have the same um, 
obligations and kind of um, things to take care of because I think you've got kids, don't you, Andy? Yeah, I've got two yeah, kids, so mortgages. There's no way I could do what you're doing, yeah. Just yeah, yeah, well... I got the I've got the mortgage back home, so there's there's a finite amount of time which we can take off. Um, but we um, we stockpiled some funds, and you know we don't have to send kids to school and buy school uniforms just yet. But um, yeah, I can feel for you guys being parents. Yeah, so it's look honestly, it's because we've we become a bit of a hermit kingdom here in Queensland, a bit like what WA's done. I've got to say, for the most part, you don't notice it because as soon as there's a case, they just lock the border. So which and that's why the borders are still shut. And we've only had we've had bugger all lockdowns, I've got to say. Like realistically, I don't I couldn't even tell you when the lockdowns we've had have occurred. But I'm just very aware of what people in Sydney and particularly mainly Melbourne have gone through. Because as you as you probably well know, Melbourne is the music capital of Australia. So the vast majority of musicians I speak to originate from Melbourne. And um, yeah, man, it's just had a suffocating effect on on industry. Mm. The whole thing, and there's this shadow pandemic going on right now, with uh, youth suicides and with depression, and people calling Lifeline and all that sort of stuff spiking. Um, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, mate. There's there's all these these side effects that will never be considered as a, a they'll never be considered from a political perspective as an irrational consequence of these economic because they're really economic lockdowns that's what they are because they stop people from getting out and participating in in the economy you know the the machinations of capitalism that's what it's about really i mean you know you you get together with people because you want to sort of share a beverage or have a meal or something like that's what you do you don't sort of go to someone's house to read proust if you know what i'm saying it's not well maybe some people do but very few um but it's just yeah, it's just, I mean, Melbourne is right now, Melbourne outside, I heard a statistic outside of uh, some city in Brazil or maybe the whole nation of Brazil, Melbourne is the most locked down uh, city in the world. Yeah, I think it was Buenos Aires in Argentina. Um, yeah, Buenos Aires, was it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think they were originally, but now Melbourne's taken over with the collective. And I'm, I'm speaking to friends back home and they're, they're doing it tough, especially as, you, as you've mentioned, the people in the creative Hmm. industry which have had no support for a long time especially within live music um often see posts from um the dude at cherry bar kind of pleading with his wider audience and you know the government to kind of back them up a bit and they have just announced maybe in about the last few days an arts grant i think um, that is basically applied through Music Victoria. Uh, an amount of funding has been approved. Yeah. But like any grant, there's always qualifications to it. So I don't know the exact details, but yeah, there's a lot of my mates back home that, especially within the creative industries, um, and like um, a lot of some of them have been lucky to be able to get work, but others, like especially as you say in the live music industry, that are really struggling. Mm. Mate, let's talk about your music now because uh, far more positive subject. So I am enjoying this release here, Fridays with Carol. I think you've Thank picked you. up where you left off with Human Ears. But let, mm-hmm. let's go back to 2018 for a moment and just refresh uh, ourselves as to the comments that I made in my year-end list because the album did actually make my year-end list in that year. So I said that during a conversation with yourself, you uh, I mentioned that Daniel Johns from Silverchair should give you a call. And this is in light of the appalling material that Daniel Johns is releasing under the Dreams moniker with the very overrated Luke Steele from Sleepy Jackson. And uh, it's obvious from the many strengths of human is that you could easily do that enough said. So I think what you've conjured on Fridays with Carol, the new album, this year, it builds on, as I say, what you did with Human Ears, but it takes on a few new twists as well, which I enjoyed, actually. So you've added drive, driving synths, which is what he hinted at on Human Ears. Um, you've got Wah Wah Knee-style uptown funk on the tune Roland Garros. I love that. You can see my basses here. I play some Wah Wah Knee in my cover band. Uh, you know, Sugar Free, remember that tune? Get a bit of that stuff down. And some choice b fifty. Yeah, I mean, it's all there. It's, it's a bit of Paul Gray, you know, um, and some choice B50, B52-style sort of vocal trade-offs there with Dr. Man's disco plan with its nice slinky bass groove. And and elsewhere, you know, you've got, I think what your trademark is, you know, that that reverb-heavy Tom hit 
through everything. Mm. I like the way you guys do that. I think it complements your music quite well. So, look, they're my observations. Uh, for starters, do you agree with my observations? And what else do you want to add? Well, I love the observations. I especially love the B-52's observations because that particular track and just going back to Human Is, you were very kind on that release and we, no we really appreciated that. That's um, Putting us in your top 10 for 2018, we're very chuffed by that. Um, but, yeah, um, I think that the B-52's reference, um, all the references sound on point. You know, it's all in the ear of the listener. But um, I think in, in terms of this release, it was kind of, you, you know, we wanted that core sound, but um, I think you'll notice that some of the tracks these days have probably got um, less, they're, they're, they're probably less in length, like the average on the last release was probably four or five minutes. Yeah. So it's probably trying to wrap them in a bow of uh, an accessible um, synth-driven but, but with heavy guitars in some songs, you know, essentially poppier version. So, you know, in realms of the cure, maybe war on drugs a little bit, um, mm. some the fears in there. Um, but, yeah, you know, going to these emotional places but then kind of not taking it to self too seriously on some other tracks like, you know, Dr. Man's Disco Plan, the B-52s referenced, Roland Garros, which maybe has a little bit of Prince in it, hopefully, if, if people hear that. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I can hear that. I can definitely hear the the, the Prince side of it. I guess, I, to be honest with you, I don't like Prince that much. So Y1E, I do like a lot. So I wasn't going to reference you to someone I didn't like, but I can hear you. I can hear it. Yeah, I just think Prince has been a bit just hell, just overrated. I just don't understand why it's so rated so highly, you know. And, well, I, yeah, I could, I could understand that. I think, um, I guess... Some of the music we're making is kind of 80s inspired synth pop. So it's kind of when it goes to a Prince place, it's not something that Cam and I specifically listen to, but I, I guess we respect him as a, formally as a musician. And, you know, stuff like when you see him perform at the Super Bowl and he's ripping, shredding guitar solos or that purple guitar, very flamboyant, he's got his own thing going on and he's an amazing musician and performer. But I can understand how it's not for everybody. Um, but but again, the reference to Down Funk, Mark Ronson, mm-hmm. you know, that is a pretty accurate reference. Not something that we tried to, and and maybe a song that we really maybe gravitated towards. But it's kind of one of those earworms that gets in in inside your ear, and um, yeah. you kind of have to listen to it every now and again. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, killer. Yeah. Um, were there any, you kind of hinted at this, but were there any techniques or styles that you you consciously added this time around? For example, did you bring in a guitarist to complete some cuts that you you were aiming for a particular sound and you needed some technical skills that the guitarist had and vis-a-vis with the drummer? Uh, yes and no. Um, in terms of the guitaring, um, guitarist, that would be me. And so all the guitar you hear on there is my playing. But I would say the guitar took the back seat to this release, whereas in Human Is it was kind of a little bit more out the front. There are songs that have clear lead guitar parts in them, like um, Through the Night is kind of like it's three or four minute maybe War on Drugs meets, um, I don't know, U2-esque. Okay. And then it goes into a big guitar lead sound and then, the drums kick in and whatnot. Um, but a place that I'm lacking in from a musician point of view is probably drums. I can play them okay, but we drafted in for our song um, Bell Jar, which was, you know, kind of the song that we didn't put any ceilings on. It has the big triple stack guitars left and right. Mm-hmm. It had, you know, the big distortion guitars in it, um, the, the classic LA metal Ibanez pedal gets used nice. on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the big, big sky reverb on that one. Um, you know, I, well, it was kind of like I went on this musical odyssey through the States and I needed a memento 
you know, after some of the songs that were written on the album musically were kind of when I'd been through something that, um, you know, caused me to go um, and consult a doctor about a mental health plan, kind of throwing back into what you were talking about. A lot of people that are probably struggling right now with what's mm. going on in half the country. And I've been through that and came back from some time away and just thought I need to get myself right and check myself into a mental health care plan. But then after that, spent some time in the States and did this musical odyssey through like Seattle to see, you know, the grunge movement, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, um, then down through like um, Nashville, Memphis, down to New Orleans and just soaking in the country, then going to Asheville where the, the Moog synth um, place is and then up to New York, which is a massive music capital as well. But the memento from there was to bring back a Gretsch, I think it was a duo jet. And so I spent a bit of money at Rudy's in New York, mm-hmm. the guitar shop. Yeah. So that guitar sound kind of defined the sound of this album from a guitar point of view because it meant that it, you know, I was using a completely different guitar to my last, our last release. Um, and so I guess that's kind of bled into the sound a bit. But yeah, in terms of the other musicians, we actually had, um, you know, a couple of guys like um, Brody who helped us out on drums. We had our friend Piers who played saxophone on two tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, we had my mate from the formerly played for the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra on cello on two tracks. Nice. So there's a lot of diversity in the sound and I think um, we're, we're very thankful that we have some amazing musicians around us that we can employ and kind of, you know, they help us out and, you know, it just kind of takes us down to another level. Yeah, indeed. It's nice having access to people who know exactly what they're doing. And and when you're talking about drafting in these people to to add to your tunes, do you give them any instructions or do you just say, hey, I want a cello party, go for it? Um, part of this one release was... Um, I guess from a saxophone point of view, it was kind of trusting in the musician that we knew Piers. He's an amazing musician and we give him a guide and say, this is the section, this is what's there, but just go to the place where you think this song should go to. So it became more of a performance. Mm-hmm. Part of um, the, the cello was a little bit different where we had very specific parts that I'd written and then I transposed it from like MIDI terminology into like sheet music that he could play because he's, mm-hmm. you know, his heart reads anything. He's amazing. And then the drummer Brody was more of just the feel thing. He was saying, you know, we tried a couple of drummers and they didn't quite work out. They weren't really the performer we were after. And then we went to Brody and kind of said, you know, this is what we need and this is what we're after. So we sat down and kind of went through it. And then I, kind of talked him through what we're after mm-hmm. and then he just nailed it. So probably a bit of both, I would say, um, performance-based because it's probably in line with a lot of the album. You know, we kind of for, forewent or foregoed technical proficiency for a performance. So a lot of Cam's vocals on the albums are pretty amazing performances from my point of view where we actually just... Um, our modus operandi is to go to country towns and hire out a house and just plonk our recording gear in the middle of the biggest room and just record. So over the years, like I've acquired enough gear, as you would know as a you know, musician, that you just continually acquire gear. And so over the years, acquired all the recording equipment that we needed. And that was something else that, you know, on this release we felt kind of we needed to step up from the last one in terms of the the production I wasn't particularly happy you know leaving the production where it was on the last one I wanted to take it up a notch so yeah okay yeah the production's killer by the way yeah it's great it's great and I was going to ask you about um I will ask you about uh, the choice of instruments and since you sort of touched on it again there but did you you know, you talk about acquiring different instruments and then being able to use them. And did you 
is this is this an album where when you're putting the songs together, you were thinking, I've got this mog or whatever it might be, it's going to go great in this part here. Were you doing that? Were you actually writing parts with an instrument or a synth in mind? Not really. I would say it's kind of fluid. Um, we just go to, it, it's a lot of trial and error, basically just go through, I mean, I acquired the Holy Trinity of uh, Trinity or like um, the, the awesome foursome of 80s synths, Yamaha DX7. I already had a Roland Juno 6. I had acquired the Roland D50 and the Korg M1, which is more of a 90s kind of late 80s synth. So they're kind of period-specific stuff. But um, this yep. channel on YouTube, Dr. Mix, is just this crazy, I think he's Italian, synth dude who just goes through like gear talks and everything and one of them was like these four synths and so I thought I had to grab those but specifically it was more about what does the music need and it probably starts out with like maybe a synth line or maybe it'll start out with a guitar lick and then you just start building it from there so it's not you know that you go to a particular one you probably have a preset and one you go that would sound really cool in this song so it's probably more based on the sound rather than the actual synth itself yeah sweet yeah yeah it's interesting you can see my basses here I, I definitely pick things based on their sound um well i mean i'm playing covers it's a bit of a different scenario there but a lot of the five string sub stuff that i like to do the kylie songs the olivia newton john stuff all the stuff i've got to do for pack music halls and stuff but you, you, I want a darker sound. That's my um, stingray. When I'm a bit busier, it's a sterling. And I just find that that sort of works, but it's a pain in the ass to sort of have to change bases over mid-song, but unplug everything. And yeah. you, you often, you're using up 15 seconds you don't have, if you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, but it, it's like you go for the, you go to whatever place you want to for the particular, particular song. And there's yeah. going to be a couple of musicians in the audience that love what you're doing because you're changing that sound and they like the darker sound and then then they may get some some ideas from that that you played. Yeah, it happens occasionally, yeah, especially uh, in the city. When you play in the city, there's always one or two musicians in the audience and I've only met a few punishes over the years, not, not too many, I've got to say thank God, but um, usually people are very nice. They just sort of want to find out what you're doing and, get some sort of feedback about why you picked that instrument and why you're playing this over that or you made that change there. Why did you do that? I'm quite happy to talk to people on that front. Only occasionally if you're drunk, fuck off, to be honest with you, because <laughs> you punish. Find that they're the worst punishers of, of all, you know. Oh, I played a couple of instruments, yeah. Can you tell me, can I play it now? It's like, no, nah, you can't, go away. They can take you by surprise, some of them, because you and you – because I'm pretty friendly, you know, I'll talk to people, I don't mind. But it's been years, I've got to say, and I'll be honest, it's been years since it's happened. But you'll be playing in a show and then you'll you'll notice someone standing in front of you and they give you the thumbs up and you're like, hey, someone's appreciating what I do or what have you. You go and have a break and then they all offer to buy you a drink. And that's the big sign that they're about to punish you. Because then you're obligated to listen to their bullshit for however long it takes for you, you to drink your drink. So I always say, no, I'm fine. Thanks. I've got my beer here. I'm fine. Or I'll get something a bit later on. And then that can annoy them because then they're like, oh, my dastardly plan doesn't work. So then they'll launch into, hey, you're using too much treble or too much bass or something. And you're like, okay, thanks for the feedback. No worries. I Thank you. You know, you obviously play yourself. No worries. All right. Well, I've got to go. Like, oh, yeah, but I know I can help you. And you're like, no, you can't help me. No, no, you can't. So just let's just leave it. I, rem I remember one night, mate, I had this, uh, I was playing the 2015, um, the grand final, NRL grand final between the Broncos and the Cowboys. I had this woman behind me the entire set at the victory in Brisbane tapping me on the shoulder with a $50 note going, it's because she wanted to take my microphone and say something into the microphone. And as you know, you don't give the microphone to anybody. You actually take it with you during breaks in the busy places. This woman was yeah. drunk and she wanted the microphone. I don't know what she wanted to say, but she wanted to give me 50 bucks so I was like she could have the microphone. And you, we, being musicians, we know that she's going to take the microphone and not give it back. That's what happens to drunk people. They claim ownership. And, uh, yeah, the, the fun and games of playing live when, uh, when you're around people and uh, fest festivitous nights like NRL Grand Finals or Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve and, uh, and the sense of entitlements that can creep in when people are drinking. But as I say, it's rare. Yeah. I, I, like I've, you know, I've done some 
I played in a few covers bands in the past and I, I definitely, I, I know exactly what you're talking about where people just have no sense of the amount of work that goes into a band that's practiced, you know, midweek three times. They come to play a show on the weekend. They're taking time out of a busy life to play music and just do something they love and they don't see how much effort goes into it. So, yeah, feel your pain, mate. Mate, just back to the album then, lyrical themes. Did you cover anything or did you address anything specifically this time around? The only specific thing that I think would be on the album would have been the last track. Obviously being three years or more since we've last chatted, there's been a lot that's gone down. The The album was originally started in 2019, so it was pre-pandemic. A pandemic goes down. Cam got married. Cam's now um, a father. So the only theme that I could specifically point out is the last track, which is about his his now wife and his baby boy, which is kind of a, a heartfelt tribute to them and, you know, kind of the process in which he kind of, you know, fell in love and became a dad and, you know, is this, I wouldn't say changed man, but he's he's a more complete person now that he has those two in his life. Mm -hmm. Um, The rest of the album is, I would say, uh, lyrically uh, probably diverse. You You know, there's some stuff in there. There's some party jams in there. There's some introspective darker moments. There's some, you know, stuff where we question existence and you know our place in the world um but i would say these themes are kind of based on the song and where where the music took it rather than specifically trying to drive out themes i would say there's probably something in there for everybody there's kind of you know the harder nuts to crack the emotional catharsis the you know the, the big anthemic songs and then some kind of quieter moments where you kind of you know, questioning, questioning stuff like lockdowns and, you know, what it is like to be alone and, you know, how you, you know, you yearn for kind of the company of other people and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that's kind of a diverse. Yeah, very diverse, man. Yeah, some of them seem very counter to how upbeat the album feels. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, the overwhelming kind of, I would say it's, far less dark than the last album. The last album was quite dark from the point of view of like the the synth parts and the guitar stuff and some of the lyrical content was quite going to places, you know, somewhat confronting, but also, you know, music is a space where we can kind of go to thoughts that we're kind of having and understand that other people are kind of having those thoughts and it's okay to have those thoughts and, Mm. you know, or someone kind of speaks to us in a language that we understand and then it might make it easier to kind of exist with those sorts of thoughts and it's, you know, it's normal to have them and, you know, no one should doubt themselves for having those thoughts. But I would say on this album it goes to places um, that are still deep but probably in a more accessible way, um, you know, with maybe not five, six-minute um, yeah, musical kind of journeys. So I think it's probably a little bit more accessible on this release. Nice. Okay. I'll keep that in mind, actually, the more I listen to it. And the other thing, though, is that you're an album band and albums, as you're no doubt aware, they're considered by many artists to be a legacy artefact, yet here you are with another killer album. So why did you release an album of new music rather than the EPs that are so prevalent and single, I've got to say, that are all over Spotify. Yeah, I have noticed that. The the propensity for artists to kind of release singles and you kind of look at that and you go, I wonder why they're doing that. And it's probably because they're able to promote a single and put more money behind it. Mm-hmm. But on this release, I guess we, you know, on the last one we kind of thought about, you know, we'll drop a single You've always got a release process, single, 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 then you drop the album. On this release, we just thought we're just going to put it out there. You know, people are 
a lot of what we're doing in lockdown is we're consuming art because it's the one place we can go to or, uh, you know, a form of, you know, media or music, uh, you know, we consume in lockdown because, you know, it's kind of like an escape. So from this point of view, there were, there wasn't any other notion of um, saying, you know, we'll start with an EP or we'll start with an LP. We just kind of thought, well, we'll go away and record because we haven't recorded for like three years. We'll see what happens. If we come back with an EP, great. If we come back with an album, great. Um, but thankfully, the creative chemistry that we had hadn't subsided and we kind of just pick up, picked up where we left off and kind of took it to another level. So I would say it, it came close to being a nine-track album, which for us was just a big thing, you know, ten tracks on an album. It's just like you've got to get to double figures. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we just wouldn't. I, I mean, Alice in Chains... I can't remember the name of the album they dropped. What was the A-track album? I remember Jerry Cantrell and the other guys sitting in that, um, there's that interview where, or like a behind-the-scenes look where they're just like, let's just fucking release an A-track album. I don't give a shit anymore. Let's just release it. And props to them for doing it because it takes balls. But we were just like, it's got to be 10 tracks. We've got to get it out there. And so I think... Probably with the last album, that was a, a big deal. But for this one, like given that it's, you know, we we're mixing it on the outer edge of a pandemic, we're just coming out of lockdown. Incidentally, the name Fridays with Carol is because we spent four Fridays outside of lockdown um, at my place, at my home studio. And I've got a cat named Carol okay. and Carol really likes Cam. And Cam doesn't like cats. And so Cam's wife is, she's a presenter for the ABC. She's quite a, a gifted oh, really? okay. presenter, but also a very funny person. And she goes, you should name the album for Carol. And Cam's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then she's like, maybe you should name it Fridays with Carol because of like a, the Fridays that you've been spending with Carol. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we laughed it off and thought, yeah, that's, funny but then after a while it kind of stuck and we we're like well it's a pretty good name and we, can, we were coming up with other names and it kind of it didn't feel representative of kind of where the album was finished and where it got to mm-hmm. so it kind of just rolled off the tongue but I guess I, I think where we kind of like setting each other challenges and you know stuff that we don't think we can meet um and it just feels like an accomplishment to release an album as opposed to an EP. So, yeah. I'd agree. I think it reflects our ages too. We, we grew up in a time, you talk about Alice in Chains talking about albums. That's certainly the era that I grew up in as well. And uh, EPs were considered stopgaps. They were things that bands released for tours or record companies, I should say, released for tours. And they weren't <laughs> probably one of my favourite EPs is the Primus EP, uh, Miscellaneous Debris, which I think the band is themselves have forgotten about. But... These days, I, look, I routinely get hit up to interview artists that have just released a single. I've got to tell you, and I say to them, look, we're not, we're not ready yet to have this conversation. There's not enough for me to understand what yep. your musical philosophy is, okay? And I'm not yep. asking you questions about shit you released in 2017 or something. So I do. I, I don't mind doing that. I mean, people want to hit me up and come on the show. That's fair enough. But, you know, have an album or at least a, a fairly meaty EP so as we can actually dive into aspects of the album and we can talk about things because if it's just a single, um, which I understand is the way that things are done, but it just doesn't make for a decent conversation, I don't think, because we don't have, we end up talking about other things outside of the music. Yeah, maybe it's got something to also do with the era that we grew up in. You know, some of my favourite albums, Metallica, the Black Album, um, yeah. You know, some of Cam's favourite, um, REM, you know, Automatic for the People. Good album. You know, these are great albums. Like these were, you know, back in the day when musicians could only go to a studio and record and so they probably just have this outpouring of stuff. You know, something like Smashing Pumpkins and Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, you know, 
how many of those tracks got in the album, but how many of those didn't, you know, everybody culls from their albums. And so we ended up with 10, but we probably had about 18 in the mix. And then the other B sides that are just garbage. So I guess it's probably the era we grew up in. We just got, you know, the kind of formula was always that the ultimate goal was to have an album. Um, and you, that you could be proud of, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it is. It is, and look, albums are still the yardstick by which a musical legacy should be measured. Truly, because singles are here today, gone tomorrow, and anybody can really release a single because you put your best ideas into one song. The challenge is spreading those great ideas out. To your point, over ten songs or eighteen songs that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and, you, and you made a really good point there about melancholy. Because I've long thought melancholy should have been uh, a single album. And especially when I listened to the aeroplane flies high, the off, the, you know, the B sides box set or whatever it was, and listening to some of the the metal numbers that Billy came up with on that one, there he could write a riff, man. Jesus, he could—he mm. was like Richie Blackmore or something. I mean, he could—he could certainly play the guitar, but he had this thing about mixing in fairly antiquated electronic stuff, and I, I didn't like any of that. I, to be honest, I skipped over all of that shit. You know, XYU mm. and the first two songs off the B-side, Bodies and uh, Love of Suicide. Is that Bodies? I can't remember. But anyway, the, you know, the songs I'm talking about, the first two songs off the B-side, mm. you know, killer, just killer metal rock numbers. Um, mm. And he sort of lacked a bit of... Uh, you know, his ambition wasn't quite matched by his, uh, I'm not going to say his talent, but quality control sometimes because some of those songs that ended up on as B-sides that hardly anybody heard, mate, were, were probably some of the best songs of that era. Yeah. I can't even name yeah. the pistachio melody. You know, it's got all the guitar outtakes and stuff on it. Yeah. It's a wonder what their quality control process was, how much of, you know, he's obviously the creative powerhouse in the band and you know how they say... There's always two, usually, in a band that are the creative drivers of their, their music. And yeah. I don't know if it was just Billy Corgan in that setup. Um, maybe it was maybe it was Billy Corgan and James Ehart. I can't really remember. I think it was Jimmy yeah. Chamberlain, the drummer. He and Jimmy used to work on the stuff oh, together. Right. James James is really like a I don't know. I don't even know why he was in the band for the most part, because he's the songs that he contributed sounded like the Carpenters or some shit. Like they weren't rock numbers, you know, and then I saw him in a perfect circle. I wonder why he went to, the, went, went to a perfect circle after that. Who knows? Well, that's, I saw him when he was in a perfect circle and it was an odd match, but I think that's just Maynard Keenan trolling us all. You know, he's got one of the best mm. drummers in Josh of all time in rock music in Josh Freeze, and he's got these mm. other musicians around him who just seem like as though they're sort of there. And, um, you know, these are my opinions, you know, how it is, you know, we all have our own opinions on these things. But, um, you know, look, talking about music broadly then and in the three years or so, the two years or so that you had between the release of um, your previous album, Human Is, and this one here, were you influenced by anything that was out there, any of the new music that you heard or even old music you picked up? Um, Well, definitely a big influence on me probably guitar playing probably would have been war on drugs i mean i think i've referenced in the past that pink floyd david gilmo was kind of the go-to um i was in love with his playing for a long time but i didn't like the fact that he played a fender stratocaster because mm-hmm. i kind of i'm not really a fender man i'm a gretch man gretch mm-hmm. and vox my jam and each to their own, like, I, I think it's a very sweet sounding guitar, but it's just not for me. Um, definitely, um, I mean, there, there's there's kind of influences that go back. There's kind of some Bowie in there. There's there's clearly Tears for Fears. Um, there's, you know, even references to Spandau Ballet, which is kind of getting a bit um, glam in the, the rock era um, of the 80s era. But um, I think um, it's definitely War on Drugs. There's a bit of Arcade Fire in there. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a bit of everything. But um, I think for me it was War on Drugs. Um, Cam's, you know, really a te- big Tears for Fears fan. Um, you know, loved that. But also the, the references to the duo of us two. Like there's only two in our band, there's two in their band. They both contribute. Um, but he's also a really big REM fan. Um, and, 
you know, um, I, I, I guess there's probably a tendency to focus on more of the old school music. You know, we kind of go back and kind of rediscover albums from the past because a lot of the music that's being released today because of the accessibility of it means that it doesn't kind of, you know, capture your imagination like back in the day where you used to sit outside the record store or the CD store and line up for the album that you've been waiting for for two years to come out. These days it's more like an album gets released on Spotify and there's maybe not as much tangible stuff. Um, you know, probably another influence would be Tame Impala. Um, yeah, great I smashed Smash the Currents album. Um, I think his newer release was an interesting release. I really liked it. Um, he's cl- clearly a creative powerhouse and and a you know an amazing musician and recording artist. And I think his performing's got a lot better as a band now. They're quite quite amazing live. Probably he'd be the first to admit that he probably doesn't have the greatest voice, but he he definitely has that kind of Lennon pocket that he goes to. Um, but, yeah, I smashed Currents, um, loved that album. And then the follow-up, I think, was quite good. Um, and then probably it's just going towards, like, stuff like The Cure, um, Love The Cure, um, you know, some more poppy stuff in Christine and the Queens, which is... Um, uh, a really nice place to go to to experience some newer stuff, but you, know, you can't really go past the old classics like you know what we're talking about, Metallica, Smashing Pumpkins. They're a good back pocket to draw into. Yeah, I was talking to Bill Steer from Carcass about this. I asked him the same question that I've just asked yourself, and he said nothing new, but he said he's found stuff that was released thirty and forty years ago that he's getting into now. So it might as well be new music. Uh, and that sort of hints at the fact that, look, I think there are some wonderful albums coming out these days. Yours is a good example of it. You know, there's a lot of the stuff on the Nuclear Blast roster from an extreme and heavy metal perspective. I'm getting a lot of, like, great albums. And and there's 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 even uh, a band called uh, Leviathan Project who released, instead of doing it on an album, they had it, they had an album's worth of material, but they've released three EPs just because of what's going on, I think, with the whole marketing side of things with Spotify and, and Apple Music and just trying to sort of uh, stagger the releases to give them that that kick each time. But, yeah, you're right. I think it's it's probably just the way our brains are wired because we didn't grow up with iPhones and iPads and, you know, the closest thing we got to that sort of thing was Sega and Nintendo and Atari. But we're wired just a little bit different in that we actually want to sit down with an album and absorb it like a meal in a respect. It's not a snack. You know, we, we actually want to digest it. And you talk about Pink Floyd. I'm going on a huge um, Roger Waters kick at the moment. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm starting to understand his genius, I've got to say. I've sort of overlooked it for a while, but now I think I understand that he was the guy. I do. I, I love the rest of the guys and, and what they contributed, you know, David Gilmore and Nick Mason and, and, and the like. But I think without Roger, that band doesn't have that darkness you know, that dark, melancholy, you know, the world is fucked and what am I sort of thing that I mm. think Pink Floyd is really, that's, I mean, that's to me, that's when I think of Pink Floyd. That's where I'm going to. I'm not really going to the learning to, to fly songs, you know, off mm. uh, Delicate Sound of Thunder or whatever that album was called. Well, The Wall is one of my favourite albums of all time and it is, I think Roger Waters wrote pretty much 80% of it. I saw it at O2 Arena in London probably about 10 years ago. Amazing stage show, amazing performer. The Wall Live is one of my favourite, you know, concerts that I had on DVD and Smash back in the day. The theatricality of it, the kind of the subtext, the, the music, the musicians in it, like, you know, Musicians like Van Morrison singing on those tracks, Sinead O'Connor, um, all these amazing artists coming together and he kind of, you know, coordinated all that and made this amazing concert. But, you know, it's because the album, you know, it's still to this day stands the test of time. You know, a lot of people, you know, would know another brick in the wall but comfortably numb, but some of my most favourite songs on that album aren't that. 
the big well-known ones like Run Like Hell and, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's just an amazingly complex piece of music like the classic, you know, the rock opera, um, you know, the Who did it as well. But I think for me, The Wall is, it's the, the, the really great one and kind of maybe synonymous with like British musicians and maybe being able to go to, go to these wacky places like, um, I don't know, the Beatles White Album just goes to these otherworldly places where you can just go and get lost in these albums of just, you know, how much meaning they have in it, but also just musically they're just so diverse. Hmm. Yeah, funny you mentioned the Beatles too. I've been going on a big John Lennon kick in terms of not his music because uh, I still struggle with the Beatles, I'll be frank. It might, might just be the way that they're recorded or something. I know the tunes are great. and I've, God knows I've played enough of them in the covers band, but I've been been going on a late night binge of reading all about John Lennon, about who he was as a person, it's especially when Yoko Ono was added to the mix because that, that couple are about the most batshit mental couple in the history of rock music. They, I mean, she, he was so obsessive about her that he, he used to go into the toilet when she was in there. So, because he couldn't bear to be away from her. I mean, mm. I think people think it was the opposite way around. I think he had the obsession from the sounds of things. She just, I'm not saying she cast a spell over him, but, but you know, she had some sort of a fix over him that he didn't seem to be able to control himself. And, and just the way he treated his uh, first son, Julian, like shit effectively. Mm. Very this odd is guy. The kind of window. This is the window you get into musicians' lives of just like obsessive geniuses of some people that are so musically gifted but so, like, a little bit bonkers. Like, one of my favourite docos of all time is the the Metallica documentary, um, Some Kind of Monster, because it gave this window. And you've got to admire them for, like, you know, revealing themselves in that level of detail. That was before it was cool. That was, like, they were breaking down barriers, like even though probably a lot of people would say everything after load has been pretty, or even after the black album has black been album, a bit. Yeah. And, you know, I got, got the black album on vinyl and it just, it just, from the start, it just hammers through the speakers. But like, you got to admire them for like revealing all of that. And obviously being a bit of a recording nerd, I loved the fact that, the producing aspect of everything, you know, I love Sound City, that doco about, um, you know, the sound studio in, where was it, where like Stevie Nicks and um, yeah. well, Fleetwood Mac came together um, at that studio and recorded their first album. I think they recorded Tusk there um, and it was kind of mm-hmm. the beginning of the band and then, you know, like bands like Ario Speedwagon and, um, like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers recorded most of their albums there. So anything that gives you like a window into musicians' lives and kind of their personalities and like how much conflict their role is and then when there's conflict there becomes this genius and so I can totally get what you're saying about Lennon being a bit bonkers. Like when it, when it kind of reveals what was sitting beneath the surface, it's like sometimes you're like, oh, shit, they're, they're complex beings. Yeah, man, there's this video. <laughs> I don't encourage you to check it out. Check it out for voyeurism only, but it's of Yoko in 2010 or 11. It's a re- relatively recent one, of course, being man. But she's in some art gallery in New York doing that weird ah thing that she does. Like it's like I don't even know what you call it. I call it yelling, but I'm sure there's some art behind it somewhere. But the f- read the comments, the YouTube user comments underneath it. You know, I, I, I we, me and my wife just, one night we were reading them for about an hour. Like we were spitting our cups of tea out. We were just laughing so much because one person's art is another person's ridiculousness. And from mm. an artistic perspective, she's fucking ridiculous. Like it's, mm. it's, it's just what it, 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 one of the users said something about, you know, it, because she's Yoko, that's called art. But if I did it, it'd be locked up and put in a mental, mental institution or something like that. And that's <laughs> the thing about art. It's so subjective that some people get called geniuses. Remember when like Pearl Jam lost their shit around no code and people were saying, yeah. oh, this is their artistic phase. It's like, no, sorry. They've just run out of a lot of good ideas. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all in the air of the listener with music as well. It's like, it's in your interpretation. Um, yeah, yeah. Totally get what you're saying. It's all it's all relative. Mm. 
Mate, I'll wrap things up, but before we do, um, have you got physical copy uh, of this album here? Like if someone wants vinyl or a CD version, how do they get a hold of it? Uh, we'll probably do that based on demand if it's there, but um, essentially it, it's all on streaming platforms, so Spotify, um, Apple Music, Google Music, it's all on the streaming platforms. That's probably the best way, so digitally. And then based on demand, we'll probably, we could print to vinyl if, um, you know, everybody's keen for it. Um, so they can just hit us up if they want vinyl. Look, I know most of my listeners lean into hard rock, heavy metal, extreme metal, but there's always a place for this sort of music in that in, in a person who loved that, that style of music catalogue, their collection, I think, especially mm. these days. It doesn't doesn't take much to just check a band out that you ordinarily wouldn't sort of check out. So for people listening, In Capital will always be my pick from a left of centre perspective. If you're used to listening to fairly heavy shit and you want a bit of a break, take a listen. Because, uh, look, I think what you guys do, Nick, you, you take some of the best of all of that stuff I mentioned up top. You know, we talked about the 80s, um, new wave sort of sounding stuff, some of that funk, disco, groove, French house. It's all there. But, like, to prove the point, just we've had a great conversation about some of the greatest rock artists of all time. You're coming at it from a rock mm-hmm. perspective. So rock and metal fans, I think, can actually sink their teeth into what you guys do and can get a lot out of it. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Um, yeah, I think though there is, um, it is, uh, you know, there are pop elements to all the tracks. I think it goes from like, it, it can go the start off, it'll be synth pop, then it'll go to an alternative place. Then there'll be like, you know, guitar solo parts. Um, there's darkness in there. There's lightness in there. I feel like the songwriting will communicate, you know, if people are into songwriting and kind of, vocalists, lyricists, um, and interpreting lyrics and kind of diving deep into the songs, the deeper songs, the cathartic songs, I think they can get a lot there. So Mm. I think there should be something for everyone. And I think, um, yeah, give it a listen and let us know what you think. Yeah, hit you up on socials. Here's the other thing, uh, tip for the listener. It's great driving music. Um, I, I do, I tend to, I have to listen to a lot of music because of the amount of podcasts that I'm doing and I do put most of it on in the car, but barely any of it stays on, I've got to say, because a lot of metal doesn't work in the car over your iPhone speakers or my Bluetooth speakers through my Jeep, but yours work beautifully, man. So wonderfully recorded, well-produced. The songwriting is there to your point. There's uh, The future is bright for you guys, man, so please keep on doing what you're doing. Awesome. Thanks so much, Andy. Really appreciate that. So there you have it, my chat with Nick Jenkin from In Capital. If you liked it, there are many more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com, well over 550, almost 600 in fact. If you could like, subscribe and share, I'd appreciate that too. And if you found me on socials, please do leave leave a nice comment. Nice comments always help. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. I appreciate that you've tuned in and until next time, it is a very goodbye for now.